Chapter 43 of Regiment of Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. Regiment of Women by Clemens Dane. Chapter 43. Elsbeth Voice, raised tactfully at the further end of the passage, warned them of her approach said Alwyn over her shoulder. Anyhow, you must stay to lunch now. Elspeth would be furious if you went. She'll say I've driven you away or something. Unless you want to get me into another row? She spoke ungraciously enough, for she disliked having to ask a favor of him at such a juncture. But she disliked even more the notion of a tete-a-tete lunch with Elspeth. Elspeth, by right of aunthood, would ask questions, demand confession, Elspeth, she knew instinctively, would be on Roger's side. She told herself that she did not mind being bullied by Roger because, after all, it was Roger's affair, but she would not be otherwise interfered with. Elspeth had a way of putting you in the wrong. She would rather not talk with Elspeth until she had seen Claire. Claire would fortify her. If only Roger would keep Elspeth occupied till she got away to Claire. You must stay, you know, she repeated uneasily. You made me forget about lunch, he said cheerfully. Of course I must. You know, you're a terror, Alwyn. I never know which makes me hungrier, a football match or an argument with you. I'm ravenous. Alwyn was speechless. Is no one coming in to lunch? asked Elsbeth, entering. She looked quickly from one to the other. Alwyn was at the glass, tidying her hair, and Roger seemed cheerful. Elspeth smiled a significant smile. Her eyebrows were question marks. Roger shook his head, but not before Elspeth had caught sight of the scattered rows and disarranged vases. She was instantly engaged in restoring order and missed the movement. Suddenly she exclaimed and pounced on a small object lying on the floor, half hidden in petals. Oh! Oh, how lovely! What an exquisite ring! Why, Roger, why, Alwyn, look! I might have trodden on it. How careless of you both! But she beamed on them with immense satisfaction as she held out the emerald ring. It's not mine, said Alwyn icily. Nothing to do with me, Roger assured her. Elsbeth looked bewildered. One of you must have dropped it, she began. No, said Alwyn. Oh, no, said Roger, but there was a glimmer of fun in his eye that enlightened Elspeth, or she thought, at least, that it did. In my young days, she remarked severely, young people didn't leave a valuable engagement ring lying about on the floor. A disengaged engagement ring, he corrected her sadly. At least, it's disengaged at present. I think, Elspeth, said Alwyn firmly, that the lunch must be getting cold and preceded them in all dignity to the dining-room. Alwyn found the meal a trying one. Roger was talkative, and Elspeth, though obviously puzzled, was too much occupied with him to be critical of her niece. Alwyn was divided between gratitude to Roger for relieving the situation and piqued that he could be equal to so doing. A man in his position should be far too crushed by disappointment for social amenities. She would have been genuinely distressed, yet undeniably gratified if his appetite had failed him, but she noticed that he was able to eat a hearty meal. 
He could laugh, too, with Elspeth, and make ridiculous jokes, and draw Alwyn, silent and unwilling, into the conversation. He seemed to have no objection to catching her eye, though she found it difficult to meet his. He was a queer man. She supposed he wasn't very much in love with her, really. That was the truth of it. She found the idea depressing. She wondered if he were really going back to Dean at once, and was relieved to hear her aunt challenging his decision. Elspeth was expostulating. She had plans for the next day. There was a concert that evening. Roger appeared to waver. Alwyn, contemptuous that he could be so easily turned, annoyed that Elspeth should sway him where she herself had failed, was yet conscious of a feeling of relief. At least she should see him again, if only to quarrel with him. She was due to supper with Claire as well as tea, though she had not told Elspeth so. It would be quite simple. She would run round to Claire at once, and spend a long afternoon, and get back for another peep at Roger in the evening. Claire wouldn't mind. She hesitated. Claire would be rather surprised if she didn't stay. She had never been known to curtail a visit to Claire before, but she would explain things to her. Claire would be as sorry for Roger as she herself, for, of course, she must tell Claire all about it. She hoped Claire would not say she had been flirting, but she must make her at least understand what a dear Roger was. She should like Claire to appreciate Roger. She was afraid she would never be able to make Roger appreciate Claire. It was a great pity. If it had not been for Roger's unlucky prejudice, she might have introduced them to each other, and it would have all been so jolly. She would have loved to show Claire to Roger, if Claire had been in a good mood, and had worn her new peacock-colored frock, and had looked and been as adorable as she sometimes could be. They might have gone today, and now Roger had spoiled everything, but at least he was not going till tomorrow. She would slip away at once while he and Elspeth were talking. She would be back all the sooner. She left the pair at their coffee, and hurried to her room to put on her new coat and skirt and her prettiest hat. It was Claire's birthday, and Claire liked her to be fine. She wondered, with a little skip of excitement, if Claire had got her parcel yet. She was no sooner gone than Roger turned to Elspeth, his laughing manner dropped from him like a mask. "'It's all off, Elspeth,' he said. "'You were right. It's that woman. She's infatuated.' The pleasure died out of Elspeth's face. "'I was afraid so,' she said. "'I saw something had happened, but you were so comical I couldn't be sure. "'I didn't want an explanation just then.' "'Of course not,' she interpolated hastily. "'But I think I'll go back straight to Dean. "'Have you a timetable?' "'Have you quarreled badly?' "'Not exactly. "'Alwyn's rather annoyed with me, though.' "'Annoyed? "'With you?' "'Well, you see,' he explained with a touch of amusement. "'I think she rather wants to retain me as a tame cat.' "'Oh, but Alwyn's not like that,' Elspeth protested. "'Don't you think every woman is, if she gets the chance?' She has to kowtow to the heart woman, and it would be a relief to have someone to do the same to her, as well as an amusement. But she's had to understand that I won't be her friend's whipping boy. I decline the post. Oh, well, if you put it that way, but it's hardly fair to Alwyn. Of course, you're angry and disappointed. I'm not, he protested heatedly. Oh, but you are. Don't pretend you're not human. 
I don't blame you. I'm angry, too. But you must be fair. Alwyn's motives are obvious enough. There's no cat-and-mouse business about it. She simply can't bear the idea of losing you. Yet she won't marry me. She would if it weren't for Claire. Didn't you get that impression? Roger, if you really care, wait here a little longer. Stay with us. Let her have a chance of contrasting you with Claire Hartle. No, I won't, he said obstinately. You care more for your own dignity than for Alwyn, I think, said Elsbeth in her lowest voice. Cousin Elsbeth, I care more for Alwyn than for anything else in the world. You know that. Also, though you'll call me a conceited ass, I believe I know your ewe lamb ten thousand times better than you do, and I've simply got to sit tight for a bit. The less she sees of me at present, the more she'll think of me, in two senses. If I can make her miss me, it'll be a profitable exile. Oh, you dear worried woman, he cried, laughing at her intent face. Do you think I want to go away from Alwyn? Nevertheless, where's the timetable? She rose and fetched it and gave it him without a word. He ran his finger down the page. There's a four o'clock, he announced. If only I could do something, mused Elsbeth. He smiled at her gratefully. You're a pretty staunch friend, he said. What more can one ask? Oh, but I ought to think of something, she said impatiently. I sit here and let you go. I see two people's lives being spoiled for the want of a... What? That's it? What? What can I do? Nothing, nothing, nothing. Oh, Roger, it's hard. It's very hard to see people you love unhappy and not to be able to help them. It's the hardest thing I know. It would be such a happiness to be allowed to bear things for them. But to watch, it's harder for us than for men, you know. We're such born meddlers. We think it's our mission to put things to rights. When we've made a mess of them, I'm not sure that it isn't. I've got to do something, she went on without heeding him. There you'll be at Dean, miserable. You will be miserable, Roger, she interrupted herself with a faint twinkle. Don't you worry, he reassured her. It was bad enough when she left. She's managed to make every nook and corner of the place remind one of her. I don't know how she does it. Oh, it will be rotten, all right. Then there will be Alwyn here, she continued, pretending she doesn't care working herself into a fever each time Claire is unkind to her, and pretending she doesn't care, watching the post for a letter from you. I know her, and pretending she doesn't care. Thoroughly miserable, and quite satisfied that I see nothing, as long as she laughs and jokes at meals. Oh, life's a comedy, cried Elsbeth. You young folk have your troubles, and think we are too old and blind to see them, and we old folk have our troubles, and know you are too young and blind to see them. Yes, Roger, I'm having a grumble, and it's doing me good. One suffers vicariously as one gets older, but one suffers just the same. You children forget that. Do we? he said gently. I won't again. We won't. Later on. Elsbeth. Alwyn and I. I want you two to be happy, she cried piteously. I want it so. Oh, Roger, what can I do? Nothing, he said. She was silenced, but he was touched and a little amused to see how entirely she was unconvinced. He admired her persistence and wondered if she had fought as vehemently for her own happiness 
as she now fought for Alwyn's. Failure was instinct in her, in her faded covering and eager, unassured manner. He thought it probable that the memory of failure was spurring her now. He roused her gently. "'Elsbeth, is past three o'clock. Will you come and see me off? I must go back to the white horse for my bag first. Shall I call for you? I shan't be more than twenty minutes.' She nodded assent and promised to be ready. Left to herself, she went to her room and dressed with mechanical care. Her mind tossed a while like an oarless boat in the sea of her restless thoughts. What could she do? Wait, wait and hope, and watch things go wrong. Roger was in love now, and prepared to be patient, but Roger was only a man. He would get over it in time, and Alwyn, finally released from Claire's influence, that, too, surely, was only a question of time, would find out what she had lost. She understood Alwyn well enough to know that if she cared, however unconsciously, for Roger, she would never be content to attach herself to any later comer. Alwyn was terribly tenacious, so she, too, would waste and spoil her life, and for the sake of an infatuation, a piece of girlish quixotry, it was criminal of Claire Hardle to allow it. She supposed that the situation amused Claire. At least, if Alwyn's version had allowed her to guess it, she wondered exactly how much Alwyn would tell Claire. Suddenly, and wonderfully, she was illumined by an idea. Roger, returning punctually with his bag, found Elspeth awaiting him on the step, in calling costume, pulling and patting at a new pair of gloves with extraordinary energy. Her cheeks were bright. She had the air of frightened bravery of a cornered sheep. "'Come away quickly, Roger,' she whispered, with a glance at the windows. "'I don't want Alwyn to catch me. I can't come with you to the station, Roger. I'm going to see Claire Hartle.'" End of chapter 43 Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona